Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 31. It's titled The Role of Luck in Success. This past week, I received an email from Peter. He is from Canada. He's an artist, and he's an art teacher who lives in Abu Dhabi, where he teaches. And in his email, he described relaxing after a long week of teaching at this magnificent swimming pool. It overlooked the ocean. There were palm trees swaying in the warm November evening breeze. And he chatted with Mohammed, who was a fellow expat from Montreal. Mohammed works for a large investment company, and as they sat there, they discussed finances and business strategies that might allow them to get back to their home in Canada. Peter mentioned to Mohammed a podcast that he had listened to, the Hack the Entrepreneur, Johnny Nastor, N-A-S-T-O-R. I've not listened to this podcast, but Peter quoted something he heard from the podcast. The three ingredients or three important things you need to have a successful business. The first was knowledge, the second was passion, and the third was financial viability. Can't argue with that. That seems, that seems like three pretty important things. But then Peter wrote, Muhammad tentatively agreed, nodded and looked slowly, said yes, and then through squinting eyes and raising a finger to make his point, he said, but you can't do without luck. Peter's question to me was, what, what, where does luck, or what role does luck play in success, in business success, in life success, and, and what were my thoughts on luck? He also wanted to know what Henry David Thoreau's thoughts were on luck, because I I've, have quoted from Thoreau a number of times in previous episodes, so we'll cover both in this episode. When I thought about the question... I immediately remembered a book I had read, and, and I'm going to pronounce this name. I'm going to struggle with it. It's Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and he was a Hungarian psychologist. Let me say that again just to practice. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. You spell his last name C-S-I-K-S-Z-E-N-T-M-I-H-A-L-Y-I. You can find that in the show notes at moneyfortherestofus.net. So Mihai was a psychologist. He's known for his research on happiness, creativity. Uh, he developed his concept of flow or being in the zone, which I, I tentatively referred to a couple episodes ago, but I did not refer to Mihai by name because at that point I hadn't learned how to pronounce his name. But he wrote a book that is called Creativity, Flow, and Psychology of Discovery and Invention. 
And this book is based on extensive interview of 91 individuals who have been creative and successful in their lives. And the criteria to be interviewed for this book were you had to be over 60. So I, I, would, well, I would say the twilight of your life, but that's not even true anymore. But having spent a number of decades in a specific domain. So we wanted people that were over 60 were still actively involved in their careers and they had made a significant difference to a major domain of culture such as the sciences, art, business, government, or human well-being in general. What was fascinating about these interviews or a fascinating insight is the majority of the people interviewed mentioned luck most frequently as a reason for their success. Think about that. They thought as they look back in time, they thought it was luck. Is that what it takes to be successful? Luck? Let's turn to Thoreau. In Walden, there's a chapter, I think it's called Baker Farm, but Thoreau is fishing with John Field, who is an Irishman. And so they're in a boat fishing, and Thoreau's having a pretty good day. John Field is not. Here's Thoreau's quote. He, poor man, disturbed only a couple of fins while I was catching a fair string, and he said it was luck. But when we changed seats in the boat, luck changed seats too. Thoreau was not a big proponent of luck. In in fact, he was, during this time, was the, the gold rush in California. And, and Thoreau was just adamant that th- this gold rush was a, a very, very bad thing. And he says, this is from Thoreau, Life Without Principle, that so many are ready to live by luck and so get the means of commanding the labor of others less lucky without contributing any value to society. And that is called enterprise. The philosophy and poetry and religion of such mankind are not worth the dust of a puffball. The hog that gets his living by rooting, stirring up the soil so, would be ashamed of such company. If I could command the wealth of all the worlds by lifting my finger, I would not pay such a price for it. It makes God to be a moneyed gentleman who scatters a handful of pennies in order to see mankind scramble for them. The world's raffle. So, prospecting for gold, he, he likened it to gambling, complete luck-based. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about luck and success. When I mean by luck, it's more random events. You call them random. You can call it luck. You could call it providence, but lucky breaks that people have, particularly when they look back in time and, and connect the dots. But there's an interesting component here that I'll get to in a minute. Let's go back to this idea of fishing. I don't know how many of you fish. I live in Idaho, as you know, and Idaho is, in some regards, a mecca for fly fishing, particularly a stretch of river that's on the old Harriman Ranch, which is now a state park, and it's it's called the Harriman Ranch. It was founded, it was a railroad ranch for many, many years ago for one of the founders, Harriman, whose who's Avril maybe was his first name, who, who bought this land. But it is a remarkable stretch of river. 
and people come from all around the world to to fish here because the the variety of hatches throughout the summer and fall are, are, are amazing and the fish are big and the fish are very very savvy and smart they're hard to fish and so last June I was in the river it was about 45 degrees Fahrenheit it was raining inhaling and I was with uh, my friend Dick and this is my third summer fishing this river and there was a hatch of, of a of a fly mayfly called pale morning doves PMDs and so we're fishing and I there was about a dozen people in the river and they all one of the things that fascinated me about fly fishing I never knew I mean I because I fished as a kid fishing as a kid was balling up a, a ball of Wonder Bread, putting it uh, instead of a worm, putting it on a line with the bobber and throwing it in the lake, Lake of the Woods, in Ohio, and and never getting a bite. I mean, that, that was fishing to me. I went to Canada for a week to fish for, I was probably 14, to fish for pike, or northern pike. So we had these big lures. Again, we, we portaged our canoe. We canoed at the remote spot. I didn't catch a fish. I was like John Field. I'd, I'd switch spots in the canoe to see if my luck would change. And, and then when I, I came to fly fishing in this particular stretch of river, it became pretty clear that there is skill involved in, in fly fishing. And so I'm in the ri- river, and, and the way that you fish this particular stretch of river is you, you don't just randomly throw in your, your fly and hope a fish will catch it. You wait for a fish to sort of pluck the water. There's this this distinctive plucking sound as the fish goes up and and eats a bug. And and that's the fish you fish to. So I fished to two fish, and I spooked them, and they swam off. And that that has been my experience over three years. My success rate the first two years of fishing this stretch of water was none, not even a bite. This third year... I actually got two to grab my line and take off, but I have yet to land them. So I'm three years in. I have yet to get a fish in a net on this stretch of river. I can fish other stretch of river and do just fine, but this is really, really challenging. So that entire day, I, only, I saw only two fish caught on that entire length of river. And as I'm walking back to the car with my friend Dick, and he says this a lot, we paid our dues today, and I've paid my dues a lot. The man who caught the only two fish I saw was in his 80s. He was about 100 yards away, but I could see that his arm and his fishing rod were shaking because he had Parkinson's disease. And he was holding himself up with his other hand with a walking stick. And that's not unusual. In the Henry's Fork, you see men and women that have fished there for decades, many of them holding themselves up with walking sticks. And in fact, one, one gentleman actually passed away in the river last summer as he was fishing. And so like Zen Buddhists, they fish with their whole body and minds. They're completely concentrated, and they wait for the pluck of, of a feeding trout. And there are days in the summer, not very many, where the fish are up on the surface everywhere. And those are lucky days, but it's only the ones, those fisher men, women, fisher people, who have paid their dues. They've acquired the skill to take advantage of that opportunity. 
Yeah, it was a ran. For whatever reason, the wind was that day, the way the fish were feeling, the way the bugs were coming. They were excited and willing to take flies, but only from people that had the skills to take advantage of it. And that's an example of how skill is is equated or there's a connection between skill and luck. Back in episode 25, I mentioned a quote that Steve Jobs gave in his commencement address at Stanford University. He said, quote, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. In that same speech, he said he was lucky. And as I got to thinking about that, what if, the um, presumption is, as these successful people that Mihai Mihai, I already mispronounced his name, interviewed, they looked back and they saw the lucky breaks that allowed them to be successful. I read an interview the other day, Jimmy Fallon, the talk show host, talked about his lucky break. He got discovered. He was working a club in Chicago and somebody discovered him. And, And that's what successful people look at. They look at, all right, the time that they're in the right place at the right time, the right people found them, the right circumstances took place, and they connect the dots and they can see that pattern that led to it. But what if, and the presumption is if that thing hadn't happened, that they wouldn't have been successful? What if there are so many lucky breaks, random events, serendipitous occurrences, that are, are there, many of which we don't recognize. But when we look back in time, we can connect the dots and say, that was a defining moment in my life. And then the, we assume if it hadn't happened, life would not have been the same. But what if there had been another lucky break and you would have still have been successful, maybe in a different way? In other words, we only recognize the lucky breaks that were turning points because that was the dot that connected them. But that doesn't mean there's many, many other dots that could have happened and we end up where we can, have, we have. I, in Mihai's book, he mentioned, he, he interviewed a number of scientists that were involved in some of the early atomic research. And he mentioned there were dozens and dozens of individuals kind of working in, in science, but there was only those that were particularly ready to take advantage of what occurred and to, to make a significant achievement in the domain because they were looking for those opportunities. Taking advantage of luck, of lucky breaks, is a combination of being ready when they happen and recognizing that there are many, many lucky breaks that can happen in our lifetime and to be able to take advantage of them. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard. 
where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. So what do we need to do so that we're prepared when that lucky fish comes along so we can take advantage of it, those lucky fishing days? Someday I'm going to catch a fish on the Henry's Fork. And I'm going to land it. And, and what I have found fascinating about that is other fishing areas, other rivers, I find boring. And that's because it's so easy. And so the first thing we need to do in order to find more luck is to seek out complexity. What is complexity? Something is complex if it... Well, let me, let me quote from, from Mihai. He says, something is complex. We mean that it is, very, it is a very differentiated system. It has many distinctive parts. And also, it is a very integrated system. And so, separated distinct parts, that's integrated. There's in, interdependency. There's linkages, as we talked about in episode 15 with complex adaptive system. So a system that is differentiated, so many different parts, but it's not integrated, is complicated, and, but not complex. It's chaotic and confusing. It needs to be both differentiated and, and integrated. Something that's integrated with lots of similar parts, so it's not differentiated, would be rigid and redundant, redundant but not complex. Now, so a complex system, differentiated, elements that are integrated together, but there's something special about them is they have nonlinear responses. So an action by one individual 
it's not linear. It's the disproportionate response, all the connections throughout the system. The example that Len Fisher gives in his book, The Perfect Swarm, The Science of Complexity in Everyday Life, talks about when I was at a play last week with, with my spouse and daughter at, at her high school that she was the stagehand. And at the end of the play, Tarzan, somebody started clapping. And, and everyone, everyone clapped. But it was when somebody starts clapping, usually people f- follow. There's a swarm behavior. So clapping of one individual can inspire others to clap. Or in this case, there wasn't a standing ovation. And, but if, if, if you've seen how standing ovations occur, maybe one or two will stand and then everybody else stands. In other words, it sort of flows throughout the system. There's this interconnection. We should seek after complex systems because there's greater variability when things are complex. There's more likely to be lucky breaks, a random event. Unexpected things can happen. Now, both bad things and good things. We've talked in earlier episodes about we need to protect against the downside, but we need to capture the upside. And so if we are involved in complex things, there's, there's two reasons to do it. One is because we can experience more lucky breaks. The second reason that, that Mihai points out is that if we seek after something complex, we're likely to not get bored. We can enjoy the, the activity because we're discovering new challenges. And so we should, we should go after areas that are inexhaustible. He, he mentioned music, poetry, carpentry, computers, gardening, philosophy, you could, you could use business, but things that are complex. The best investment managers I know in the world go after complex situations that are hard to understand because there they get benefit for the research we do, they, and they certainly don't get bored doing it. So first, go after complexity. The second is take small steps, consistent steps, but occasionally take a giant leap to do something completely different and random, to try something new. So why do we do that? Well, complex things take time to master. So when we're delving into complexity, we want to take small incremental steps. There's this idea that Stuart Kaufman talks about called the adjacent possible. What tends to happen next is usually a function of the inventory, the skills we already have. We combine sort of our inventory in new and novel ways, or we combine those skills. In, in my idea of fishing, I, I'm learning little by little. When you got to watch the fly, I'm learning how to, to drop the fly in the water so that there's no drag as the fly goes down. But little by little, I'm making incremental improvements. I'm dealing with the adjacent possible. But occasionally, just like in evolution, there's a giant leap. You got to try something completely different to get to another, the other side of the complex system. Example in my life, I'm, I most of my steady improvement has been in my domain, where I, I've stuck to my knitting to learn investing. But I occasionally, throughout my, my career, took occasional leaps. Example was in 2004, I decided I wanted to build a website. So I sold, I built a website to sell our house, and somebody from Brazil came and bought our house in Idaho. 
I decided to, I wanted to write a novel. And so I spent three or four years learning how to write fiction. I never published a novel. It, it wasn't that great. But I learned to write. These are leaps that introduced me to people I would not have met otherwise. It has broadened my network. It's broadened my connections. And then they become more of my inventory that I can use in sort of into my domain. I look at I look at what the way that I'm practicing investing now through a podcast, through a project that I'm going to announce here in a couple of weeks that I think you'll be interested in. It's a function of the inventory that I have developed, the skills I've developed over time that weren't necessarily just focused on investing. And so as we take those small steps and occasional leap to learn more skills, that creates it broadens our network, but it gives us more exposure to variability, to lucky breaks, because we have more skills to be able to take advantage of them. So small, consistent steps, occasional giant leaps. One way to do that is we do, as we talked about a couple of episodes ago, lessons from a madman, Jeju, talked about walking in the zigzag. It says, draw a straight line upon this earth, then try to walk along it. Danger, peril, the bramble and thorns which so bewilder the sunlight, they don't impede my steps. My zigzag stride amid them keeps my feet unharmed. Thoreau offered the same advice when he, he writes again, where he's talking, about, he had read about Australian mines and the environmental disasters that the, the gold mines in Australia was, or were at the time, as well as San Francisco. And he says, I asked myself why I might not be washing some gold daily, though it were only the finest particles. Why I might not sink a shaft down to the gold within me and work that mine. Why don't I invest in myself? Why don't I find my own skills is what he's saying. Then he says, at any rate, I might pursue some path however solitary and narrow and crooked, going in a zigzag, in which I could walk with love and reverence. Wherever a man separates from the multitude and goes his own way in this mood, there indeed is a fork in the road. Though ordinary travelers may only see a gap in the paling, paling is a picket fence, his solitary path across lots will turn out the higher way of the two. We have to occasionally take big leaps, Go a differentiated route. One, because doing things differently often allows us to be recognized and to, to get those lucky breaks. Third thing, then, is curiosity. Mihai, in his book, emphasizes again and again how successful people who are creative follow their curiosity. They're curious, and they create things for their own sake. They don't go about pursuing things for money. They go about pursuing things for their own sake, for this sheer joy of pursuing them. Then he says, be surprised by something every day. Here's a quote. Perhaps the most important quality that one is most consistently present in all creative individuals is the ability to enjoy the process of creation for its own sake. This idea of being curious, of being surprised. When something strikes a spark in us, we should follow it. 
The world is our business, and we can't know which part of it is best suited to ourselves, to our potentialities, unless we make a serious effort to learn about as many aspects as possible, especially when we're young. My kids, uh, my daughter is 16, and she mentioned a spark that she had the other day where she realized that she loves to show people that are visiting our part of the world that have never been here, go up to Yellowstone, go up to Teton National Park, and let them discover it. She finds joy in introducing new things to people, particularly people that aren't from here. That's a spark. That's something that points her in a direction to follow. My other kids are are late teens and 20. And and in your 20s, you shouldn't be necessarily focused on one thing. That's the time to take big leaps. And then as you get older, you tend to find areas where, like in my case, investing, finance, that are complex domains, but don't get boring and continue to, to be fascinating. And, and so you're still taking big leaps, but more and more of your time is focused in a specific domain, and that's what allows you to be successful. And then as you get older, there's this idea called settled work, is what Chris Anderson calls it in his book, the Pat- Christopher Anderson in his book, The Pattern Language. Settled work is things we do in the twilight of our lives where we perfected a domain, but it continues to be thrilling. I can't think of anything in the world more soul-destroying than being bored. The times in my life, the worst job I ever had was I worked for a bank. It was a temp job, and my job was to fill out this form for people that had been rejected from their mortgage. Same form, six lines, eight hours a day. I made it for three days. There was a big snowstorm. They were sending workers home. I asked my supervisor, can I go home? She got mad and called up the temp agency and fired me. I was so happy. We should do anything we can to avoid boredom. And and that's another way, because if you're bored, you're not going to get lucky breaks. Got fired from that job, got hired by into a an IT firm where my job was to, this was back in the sort of more main, mainframe days. This was a big IT project for a phone company. I had to compile code and for the testers. And it was like this multi-step process to compile the code on a computer. And, and, and whenever somebody needed code to be compiled, I'd compile it, and then they would go over to the testing area. Well, I spent about a month at, the, at that and realized I could just write a little macro that would compile the code for me. And so what typically would take 15 minutes suddenly took about 20 seconds to do. I'd push the button and it would work. And that worked fine. And, then, and so then I spent the rest of my six months there pushing a button occasionally, but I could spend the rest of the day reading. So I wasn't completely bored. Mental activity, you got to do the same thing over and again. That's what, that's what gets boring. So find a spark. Seek after curiosity. Create things for their own sake. Work in small steps, occasional giant leaps. You focus on complex areas. You take small steps because that is what in the adjacent possible is. You combine your existing inventory, make small improvements. And it's that consistency. Successful companies are consistently doing one thing or many things, but it's a consistency combined with that occasional flyer, that occasional leap within a complex area so that you're able to ultimately have those lucky breaks because it's a combination 
of skill and luck and find out what dots will connect for you as you look backwards. The future, you don't know what the dots will be, but they'll be there. That's episode 31. If you have questions, you can email me, jd at jdavidstein.com. You can get show notes, including how to spell Mihai's name. Get the link to his book. That's at moneyfortherestofus.net. This is episode 31. Also, on moneyfortherestofus.net, you can sign up for my Insider's Guide, where I'll email you the show notes. I answer listeners' questions, share things that didn't make it in the podcast. That's at moneyfortherestofus.net. Everything I share with you in this podcast, in this episode, is for your ed- general education. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I have not provided investment advice. Simply education on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. See you next week. <laughs>